I uh, just want to give you a couple of announcements today before we introduce our guests. Thank you guys for helping this morning and uh, the three wise men, as I call them, uh, Sean and Simon and Viano, who have been doing this for, oh boy, the whole, throughout the whole pandemic. And wow, we were doing stuff with audio recordings flying around back and forth. And then we were able to meet in person and then we were at the Bible college and then here and there and everywhere. Uh, but we're here now and we're here every single Sunday thus forward. COVID permitting, I suppose. We'll see what happens, but uh, things are looking up, and so we are booked every single Sunday from today onward. Hopefully, as of next week, June the 6th, we will um, be able to have more people, and we'll be able to eat or have refreshments, coffee and tea, whatever. Some people bring their own stuff, so I mean, uh, it'll be less and less restricted in the days ahead, hopefully, okay? So welcome today. Uh, let me give you just a couple of announcements so that we can give our speaker lots of time. Tomorrow night, I will uh, do another live Q&A uh, question on uh, Facebook and YouTube. And the question tomorrow is, are Christians judgmental? A lot of your friends say, uh-huh, they're very judgmental. Is it right or wrong to judge? Jesus said, don't judge. What did he mean when he said that? If Jesus said, don't judge, how come there seems to be a lot of judgment? Um, so I'm going to wrestle with that question tomorrow. You might be surprised at the answer, but we'll do it tomorrow live. And you can always ask anything you want. You just jump on the, on the, the stream, and uh, I take your questions live if you want to do that as well. And also, uh, Wednesday night, we're continuing our video Bible study. It's an interview with a guy named John Lennox. And he is a uh, mathematician, philosopher out of Oxford University, very highbrow guy. But this is a really interesting and simply put uh, uh, interview with him as he defends the case for God. And he does so in a way that even kids can understand. Very simple, great for young people, especially as you're wrestling with these questions uh, as you, you know, get into high school, CJEP, university, uh, I encourage you to realize that your faith is not going to be encouraged by those things. It's going to be discouraged, and you're going to have arguments against God and against Christianity. Are those arguments true or false? Some of them are really good arguments. Uh, so he does a great job uh, in this, uh, this interview uh, against the tide, all right? So it's a Zoom call, and I'm sure you will enjoy it. Uh, remember, of course, uh, Sunday morning, uh, June the 6th is our next in-person gathering. You do have to use the website to register, but there'll be more room uh, when we turn orange in Brossard on uh, Monday, tomorrow. I think we're turning orange, and the gyms will open, and uh, I have to be honest with you, I'm more excited about the gyms opening than the churches opening. Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. So the, just a joke, you're, you're laughing, good. Uh, but uh, I think we'll be able to have, again, more people and so on as of tomorrow, but you still have to register. Okay, that's for contact tracing, as per the government's thing there. Uh, parents, uh, remember the website that I keep on um, uh, talking to you about, makingthebiblecomealive.com. Great for you to help your kids grow in faith. You don't I was going to say you don't need the church. Yes, you do. But the primary responsibility for you in teaching your kids about God is your responsibility, right? We can come alongside and help give you tools, 
partner with you in the discipleship of your kids, but ultimately it's on you. And I would also tell all the parents, families in the room, if you're not watching The Chosen, you should. Uh, I am sharing this with people who are of different faiths, not Christian at all, and telling them you need to watch this series and you need to give me your opinion. Whether you like it or you don't like it, I really want to hear your opinion. This thing is getting better and better each episode. I am so impressed with the way that they do it and the way that they show uh, the, the Jesus as both God and man at the same time. Superbly done, okay? Uh, those of you who want to give today, you can do so right at the table. There's a little machine there. There are envelopes there. Some of you have done it already. Uh, but we will have someone at the desk manning that at the end of the service, all right? So today we have a guest speaker, uh, Pastor Charles Porter is here, and he has been attending our church with his family, who are all in the front row here. And uh, Pastor Charles has a great deal of experience and background, as I like to say, a lot of miles on the odometer. Uh, this man has been involved in church planting, missionary, evangelist, pastor. He is, has moved from the U.S. with his family here to the province of Quebec, burdened for this province as it is notorious in the Western world for having something actually, you know, may step into uh, to a, a Protestant evangelical church and may actually attempt to follow Jesus. And that's a very, 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 very small percentage of people um, in this province. And so he has moved here uh, with his family and working a lot with our district of Quebec in coaching pastors. He has a podcast uh, for young people in the French language that he'll talk about as well. Uh, he's planted a church in a movie theater as well, but not in, uh, in North America, in Africa, in Tanzania, I think it is. And so he knows all about this, and uh, is probably glad he doesn't have to plug in wires today, <laughs> and he just has to come and share the word. But he's jumping right into our series uh, on the book of Hebrews. Um, and so would you please welcome, this is his first time speaking in our church. It won't be the last, Pastor Charles Porter. Oh, well, thank you so much. I don't know if all that means that uh, I've had a lot of experience or I just can't decide and keep moving around. But uh, it is good to be here this morning. We've been privileged the last couple of weeks to worship with you as a family. Um, and it is always fun for me. A lot of times my ministry has had me traveling. And so when I can actually have my family along, it's fun. So let's uh, get started. And of course, my computer freezes. Um, right when I get started. Wouldn't that be fun? So let's do something else. No, I'm just kidding. You're stuck for the next few minutes. Let me ask you, how many of you remember being a kid? Now, some of you are like, my kids are still like, yeah, dad, we know what it means to be a kid. We're still kids. But let me take you back because our journey and as a family has been an interesting one. We moved here during the pandemic. I got to tell you, it was not what we thought. We moved here last September, like, things are opening up. Come on, we can begin the ministry. We got here, and they're like, yeah, maybe not. So um, we've been working since then on something that I'll tell you about here in a little minute. But before that, I served as a missionary in residence at North Central University, training and teaching students. We were literally minutes away from where George Floyd was killed. And Tanya and I went to school 
down in that environment. My friends, the church has always been where it is needed most. Now, we may not always see that it's there, but it's there. I'll tell you a story. Before that, we served as missionaries in Tanzania, and we were urban church planters. We were in the urban. We, we found a theater, except when we came in, all the, the posters were Bollywood. And so there were Bollywood posters everywhere because that was the only theater in Tanzania for a long time. And then when we were there, other ones opened up. But we started in this movie theater. But we also went out into the villages. And we went out into this all-Muslim village, and we were um, not preaching. We were running a soccer camp for kids. And then at night, I did discipleship with my team. Well, the whole village... Like, there's nothing to do. There's no electricity. There's no running water. There's no, So they would just come and listen. And I started, Sean, I'd be like, so, Sean, let me tell you about Jesus tonight. Sean knows Jesus, right? You've met him a couple times. Yeah, yeah, Simon, you know. But I told, I spoke to my team as if they didn't know anything about Jesus. And the whole village eavesdropped on the conversation. <laughs> so, but the funny thing was, as I was sharing the gospel with my team and the whole village listening in, one of my friends who was uh, along for the ride, he had somebody come up to him, and he tapped him on the shoulder, and he said, hey, would you, uh, can I talk to you? He said, sure, stepped aside. He goes, my name is, you know, and he wouldn't tell me, you know, told him his name, and he said, um, do you know what a TAG church is, Tanzania Assemblies of God? Yeah, that was our partner organization. We weren't advertising that. He goes, I went to the city, and I was working in the city, and I walked into this thing called a TAG church. I gave my life to Jesus, but nobody here knows. You see, I've never gone anywhere that Jesus hasn't already been. I've never gone anywhere where I've not seen the working of the Holy Spirit already there, and we've come alongside. We are not the initiators of the gospel. We are are simply sometimes the explainers of the gospel. So let me give you just a little bit more on myself, work you a little backwards. We were Tanzania. Before we were in Tanzania, Tanya and I were in Kenya where we adopted our son, Joshua, who's there. So um, he acts like me but doesn't look like me, but he's my son. God gave him to him and gave us a dream, told us the name of our child, Joshua. And so when we found him at the orphanage and he was born the same day we'd had a miscarriage and just a miraculous coming into our family, very clear that God wanted Joshua in our family. Before that, we were in Sudan. Before that, we were pastoring in the States. And before that, I grew up in Europe as a child. And so as a little boy before Europe, until I was seven, so I'm going way back here, I'm sorry, but walking down um, memory lane, my dad was the pastor of a small country church in Pittsburgh, Texas. Not Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh, Texas. It's, I mean, literally, you don't get there. You have to want to go to Pittsburgh to get there. It's a little bitty place, and they pastored for about six years. For me, it was a bunch of wonderful memories. And my best memories were around Brother and Sister Davis. Back in the day when you went to church, I don't know if it was like this, uh, Pastor Joe, but uh, everybody who came to church, you were Brother Sean and Brother Simon, and you know, it was Brother and Sister so-and-so. And I'm sure if you were an outsider, you're like, wow, lots of like intermarriage in this church or something. <laughs> I don't know, because everybody was Brother and Sister. So I grew up with Brother Davis and Sister Davis, and they were a farmer couple in their 60s, maybe 70s. They came to church. They had one son who'd moved away. He was not married. So they adopted my brother and I as their grandchildren. 
And we would go out to the farm, and we just had wonderful time chasing chickens and playing with dogs and going fishing and getting chased. I was telling somebody this morning, we got chased by bulls. And, you know, it was just, you know, super fun as a kid, not yet going to school or on weekends when we were in kindergarten, go out to the Davis's farm. But one of the best things about Sister Davis was that she could cook. Her biscuits, I think my mom to this day doesn't cook biscuits because Sister Davis's biscuits made everybody insecure. They were literally about this big. They were perfectly fluffy. They were the most delicious thing you had ever tasted. But to make them even better, she made homemade butter. So Brother Davis would go out and milk the cow. I tried a few times. I wasn't very good at milking cows. And he would milk the cow and come in and she would churn the butter. Who knows what churning butter is? You've seen that done? Some of you are like, I have no idea what churning. I don't even know how this really works. But she'd get this big clay pot. I tried to find video of this. There's not even a lot of video of this. And she had a big round pole and she would just start pushing on the milk and pushing on the milk. And I don't know if she added stuff. And eventually what came out of it was butter. And she'd have these huge urns of butter. And she actually, one of the things they did to make a living was she sold butter. And they were so big that the, the bread, you know, the plastic bags that our bread comes in, the sliced bread, she would keep those and she'd have a pan fill it with butter, square, freeze it, and then she would take the pan out, and the butter was as big as our bread bags. Huge chunks of sweet butter. Oh, my word. Friends, who needs bread? Who needs biscuits when you have that sweet butter? And literally, we would eat this butter by the spoonful. You shouldn't, I know, but we were little kids, and we'd sneak it, and we'd do it. And then... I went home, and mom had these little sticks of store-bought butter, about this big, and they came in a silver wrapping. And I remember one day after having been out at Sister Davis's, I wanted some butter. And so I snuck into the kitchen when mom wasn't looking, and I unwrapped a new stick, and Mom comes in, why are there teeth marks in my butter? I had literally tried to, and you know what? It was gross. It was disgusting. It was nothing like the real thing. Now today, I eat store butter all the time, and I can't tell you the difference. I'm used to it. But if you know what real cream butter is, you will not want the store-bought. Our series, Losing My Religion, gets to a very interesting place here in 6 or 7, where the author is going to tell us the difference between store-bought butter and real butter. And that's what I'd like to talk to you about this morning, because some things are better homemade. Some things are better homemade. But before I go on, I want you to turn to somebody around you, and I want you to tell them one thing that you remember or one thing that you wish that you could get from your childhood or if you're a kid, that you, one thing that your mom makes. I know some of the young people are up the front. You know, you don't have to do it. The rest of the adults can do this. But one thing that's better homemade than store-bought. 
Okay? <laughs> Chinese food. You know what? Yeah. Well, turn around, tell somebody. Come on, we can talk. This is, this is not Charles' show. Something that's better. Banana bread. Oh, yeah, I've never had banana bread in this store, but that's got to be gross. Simon says Chinese food. Okay, like I'm, I'm inviting myself. I had a friend, I'm like, Where, where's the best Indian in town? He goes, my house. I'm like, oh, come on, that doesn't help me. I can't just show up anytime I want a samosa or curry. What, give, me, give me some feedback. What are the things that are best homemade? Raspberry jam. Oh, yes, homemade jam versus store-bought jam. So much better. Sauce. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Our Italians over here, we got to get... Anything that's red and saucy is dead. My wife makes a mean spaghetti sauce. I tell you what, it is just, and this sister over here, I won't even tell you all the good sauces she makes, but uh, I, I'm, yeah, what else is better? Baked beans. Mmm. With a little honey, maple syrup. No? I don't know. What else? Bread. Oh, good homemade bread. Yes, Absolutely. Is there anything wrong with the store-bought stuff? Does it feed us? Does it care for us? Sure. If you don't know any different, would you think that's the only thing that there is? If you only know religion one way, and you've only experienced your faith in Christ one way, it's not bad. It's not wrong. But you don't have the full richness of it. We have to remember in looking at this that the, this letter to the Hebrews was not written to us. It was written to the Hebrews. The first, word, the first person we get called a Hebrew is Abraham. It was written to the Jewish people. We have to understand that because for them, they had a very structured religion, a store-bought religion. This is exactly, because if you're going to mass produce butter, you have to put so many different things, and you have to put these chemicals to preserve it. You have to put all of these things in it so that it looks pretty in the store and this kind of stuff. And if you're going to make bread, then it's got to be this way and this way. But it echoes that which is richer, that which is homemade. And so today we're going to look at Hebrews chapter Seven, written mainly to Jewish people. You've got to remember that in the beginning, the Christian faith, those who followed Jesus, this was a sect or a cult within Judaism. And it took a long time for the church to even understand that Jesus came for more than the Jews. Even as late, you know, middle, years later, they're like, what? You don't have to become Jewish? to follow Jesus, and the church had begun to expand outside the walls of the Jewish faith. And the Jewish believers, the Hebrews, are confused because for them, they had to understand how does Jesus fit within how we understand God? Where's our store-bought butter? Because we've been told this is butter. And the author says, yes, you have butter, but let me explain to you how you make homemade butter. Let me jump in a little bit. In the beginning of chapter 6, the author says, listen, I'm not going to cover the basics 
I'm not going to give you the basic recipe, okay? But just so we know, I'm going to throw that up on screen. What are the basic recipe of following Jesus? What are the basic things? Like my daughter had a birthday last Monday. Uh, Monday. Monday. She turned 13. Now, you know, the Bible says that girls are little girls till they're 12 because Jesus raised Jairus' daughter. And he says, and the little girl was 12. So my daughter was a little girl. She's, I can't call her my little girl anymore. So she's just my beloved daughter now. And I'm so happy. But this year, she wanted to make her own cake. Now, she has done this before, but occasionally mom has to come along and make sure that there's not some missing ingredients. <laughs> and she's not the only one. I remember somebody else who would go unnamed in our family who once made cookies and served them in the family, and the sugar was missing. <laughs> they were great bread, but there was something missing. So what are the core elements that the author says? He says, I don't want to go back to this. I don't, want to, I don't want to have to teach you about repentance from sin, faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Now, if you're like, whoa, that seems like a lot. It is a lot. But you have to remember that he's not writing to people, or she's not writing, but we think it's a he. He's not writing to people who have no background in this stuff. Jesus came to fulfill and explain all of this stuff. So don't feel bad if you don't understand this stuff. Join Pastor Joe's discipleship class, which meets Wednesday nights or Mondays. I forget exactly when do you meet, Joe? He's reworking that. Okay. So if there's something on this list, you're like, uh, what is this all about? Join that group and learn how to make your faith, the ingredients of making your faith come alive. One of the things that we've done personally during this pandemic is to make faith come alive. We have brought some of the concepts into an area that people are struggling. So I'm just going to do a little sidebar here. Um, if you're a French speaker, we do a podcast called Kimwe Kimwepa. Now, I'm trying to do it with a good Quebecer accent, and I can't quite get there, okay? They make fun of me. But this podcast I do with some young people, we took Philippians 4.8. Whatsoever things are excellent, praiseworthy, lovely, pure, think on those things. Paul is actually talking about anxiety. I don't know about you, but young people, their anxiety is off the charts right now. Dropping out of CIGEP, dropping out of university, grades are, my brother's an educator, he said, Charles, students are 18 months behind right now, and they're feeling huge anxiety. You know the Bible talks about anxiety? So we do this podcast, but we did it in this way. It's not preachy at all. So instead of saying the Bible says, we say ancient spiritual gurus said. Right? I mean, isn't it the same? You know, I'm like, what, what, how, whoa, I just missed that. <laughs> Let me back up. The ancient, anytime you tell somebody, oh, the ancient writers, like, ooh, cool. If you say the Bible says, like, eh, I don't want to hear that. It's the same thing, people, right? So we take this, and every week we explore the tensions that young people are going through, and then we bring it to a Christian worldview. You have value. You are loved. You have purpose. You have meaning in this life. And this is a tool that we've created with young people to help you have conversations with people that can lead them 
into Christ's conversation. So that's a little sidebar about the basic ingredients. But the author in 6 and 7 says, okay, you got the basics. You can make a banana cake, or a banana cake, a basic cake. I'm going to teach you how to make a full course meal. Let's go a little bit deeper. Let's get something a little bit richer. Let's pull out some spices and some herbs, and let's cook a little bit different. So let's have some from, because in your Jewish framework, you are trying to understand Jesus, but it's hard because you have this system. You have this religion has priests. Everybody, every religion in the world has priests, including the Jewish religion, including the Christian faith. We call them pastors, but they are in a sense representatives who stand between God and us. Representatives. And so, to explain Jesus to these people who are saying, hey, he's not fitting in our understanding of what it means to be Jewish, he takes them back to the starter, the father of nations, Abraham. Remember for a Jew, it was Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, and David. Okay, so first guy, the flood, Abraham, Moses brought the law, and then David killed the giant. Remember those guys? These are the central players. But in that day, Moses was the biggest because Moses built the super sea. Moses gave them the structure. He gave them the framework for how to follow God. Now, before we start bashing the law too much, the Bible says the law is a beautiful thing. Why? Because how many of you know that it's good to know the speed limit. So you don't you know if you're going to get in trouble or not. You, laws are good because they give us a structure and giving this slave people who never got to make their own decisions a structure to follow God was a good thing. But the system where they could be right with God, he gave them what they thought was butter. He explained how to approach God, how they could be forgiven. So, the Jews wanted to cook with their new faith, as I kill my metaphor, but they wanted to cook with store-bought butter. And to do that, they needed to fit Jesus into the silver wrapping. It's so interesting that um, the author says, let me try to explain something to you. Verse 13, he says in chapter 6, When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. But God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, so he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things which are impossible for God to lie, we have fled to take hold of the hope set before us that we may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. This is all religious imagery. Only the priest could go behind the curtain and do that where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. This is because a priest represents us before God. He's become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Ugh. Okay, what did he just do? Because, yeah, Jesus represents us, the anchor for our soul. I'm sort of following. And then 
the author pulls this random person from deep, deep, deep within the Old Testament and says, Jesus is like Melchizedek. I mean, this is like for the Jews, what? What are you talking about? Because it's so, Abraham's the founder of their faith. He goes, he is before Moses. He came first. Chapter 7, verse 8. Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, how can then I know while I gain possession of it? Talking about the promises that God had made to him. So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham brought all these to him, cut them in two, ranged the halves opposite to each other. The birds, however, he didn't cut. The birds of prey came down on the carcasses, and Abraham drove them away. You really ought to read the Bible. It has some really weird stuff in there. What? God is talking to Abraham, and he takes some animals, and he chops them in two. And, you know, it's not like the store where it's saran-wrapped. I mean, it's nasty. There's blood. There's all this kind of stuff. What's going on here? You see, at this point, God makes a covenant with Abraham. And it's a weird custom, a really strange custom. So when we were in Tanzania, they had a custom. And that custom was that you, when you had a birthday, you would have the party, have all your friends over, kind of similar, and then they would have a cake. And so my landlord invited Tanya and I to go over to have this cake at his house. And so I'm looking for this big, you know, he's a rich guy, he's got this big cake. And they, they have a host, they have a DJ who narrates the whole evening. It's kind of just, it's a wild cultural, and now here's what's going to happen. And now here's what, why is he talking? Just serve the cake, okay? It's not that hard. And so, but it's their culture. And so the DJ calls everybody over, okay, it's time for the guy to have a cake. And I walk around, I'm looking for the cake, and all I see is a full goat roasting on the spit. And he says, now you will be served the cake. And the cake was the goat. I'm like, well, no, no, that's not how I know cake. <laughs> cake is different. Cake is cake. And the strange custom was that the landlord would then cut the, they would cut it for him. He would take a plate and he would hand feed you the cake. Now, in our culture, at a wedding, at least in my, the, the groom feeds the bride. It's very intimate kind of, you know, it's, it was kind of like, I'm sitting there going, this is feeling really weird. This is really weird. God ask, having them cut up. So let me just give you a little idea of what the culture means there. They didn't have books. They didn't have signed contracts. So what they would do is symbolic acts. Like we have a wedding, it symbolizes something. They have a symbolic act to guarantee a contract. And the contract would be guaranteed when the two parties participated in this symbolic act. And one of the things they did was that they would agree, and Simon, they'd grab hands, and they would cut these animals in half, and they would walk between. And what they were saying was that if one of us breaks this covenant, may what happened to these animals happen to me. That's a pretty heavy covenant. But God changes the rules. And he puts Abraham down and he says, I am going to walk between the pieces by myself. Therefore, I am guaranteeing that I'm going to do it regardless of what you do. I am going to guarantee my promises and it's not going to be based on your 
works. I don't know that man. I could just go down that trail, but I got to get to Melchizedek, and I've got like four or five minutes here to do that. What happens? God guarantees the covenant. And the author of Hebrews says, let me talk to you about this guy, Melchizedek. Now, you have to go read the story. Abraham goes to war. He wins a war. He comes back, and out of nowhere walks up this guy, and they call him Melchizedek. He's the king of Salem and the prince of peace. Hmm. Salem meaning peace. And Abraham, oh, he's the priest of most high God. Wait, there are no priests yet. There's no temple. There's no law. There's no structure. But there's a guy who's a priest of God who is the prince of peace and the king of Salem. And it's really confusing. The Jews go, whoa, wait, 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 wait. He's a priest and he's a king. We don't do that. We have separation of state. We have the different powers that are selected. And this is why Jesus is confusing because he's the king, but he's also our high priest. He's our Lord, but he's also our savior. He's, our, he's the one who guides our lives, but he's also the one who represents us before God. And the author of Hebrews says, before you had all these rules, before you had all this structure to your religion, there was Abraham who by faith walked in deep, intimate relationship with God. And this guy named Melchizedek shows up. And the real butter, the butter is that you can have a relationship with God through faith, not dependent upon works. And Jesus is a high priest by Melchizedek. Not according to the rules and structures of religion, but because Abraham had a relationship with him. God guaranteed the covenant. And he said, there'll be a priest who will be both king and priest. Wow, it's just, you know, we're not cooking with simple ingredients here, friends. This is, this is a little bit chewier. Let me just finish up here. He says in verse 11, if perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, indeed the law given to people established that priesthood, why is there need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron? So Aaron was the family, the inherited priesthood, the structural priesthood. Why did we need something else? For when the priesthood is changed, the law must also change. Whoa, 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 the Jews said, whoa, 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 you can't change the law. You can't touch the law. He says, no, I'm going to precede it. I'm going to give you what came before. I'm going to give you the heart that came before. Verse 25, therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he lives to intercede for him. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he doesn't need to offer sacrifices day to day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of others. You got to understand that Jesus is not like every other representative. Why? Because the weakest link, remember that TV show, you are the weakest link. Do you remember that one? where you chuck out the weakest. The weakest link in every religious system is the priest because the priest has problems themselves. You read the news and we found out all these horrible things that priests were doing this week at the residential schools and revisiting. You're like, how could a person, how is this possible? Because the weakest link in any religious system is the priest, but Jesus comes in and he's pure and he's blameless and he's sinless and he's perfect. And because of that, he can represent us before God. 
Humans recognize that we need priests. And Jesus became a priest after the order of Melchizedek precisely so that he wasn't stuck within the borders of a religious system that says Jesus can and cannot do this. Let me talk to three groups this morning. First of all, I want to talk to explorers. You're here, you're listening online, and you're checking out this whole Jesus thing. You're exploring the Christian faith. This morning, I got to be honest, we went into some deep waters, and I'm just scratching the surface. There's so much down there. My family and I, um, we took the boat one time back from England to the United States, took the Queen Mary too. It was only a little bit more money than flying. It was amazing. And when we left Southampton, they said, oh, we are 300 feet deep. I'm like, wow, 300 feet. That is deep water. A day and a half in to the five-day trek, they said, we're within a few miles of where the Titanic sank. It is five miles, 33,000 feet deep below us. And you're exploring, and you're just on the top surface. And my wife was up on top one day, and she saw a whale spout, and it's really cool, and there's a lot at this level. But there's stuff in the depths of the ocean that we don't even know yet. And as you explore the Christian faith, remember, there's so much more here to be explored. But the point of exploring is not to be at sea, but to land to find land. Isn't that all the stories? Land ho! I want you to tell you that if you're exploring, there is a place for your faith to land. And it is secure, and it is solid, and it's not based on a religious system. It's based on the person of Jesus Christ. That's who you're looking for. And it may be hard to understand, but do you want a God who's easy to understand? Really, you want a simplified, watered-down version of an almighty creator, sustainer? Really, you want somebody that you can explain? Because if you can explain him, then you are him. That's the first group. Second group, wanderers. You decided a while ago that you needed some fresh air, that Christianity was a little store-bought. It was a little stuffy. And you're ready to move on. You're ready to see what's out there. And you've been wandering. You've realized it's pretty empty out here. It's pretty lonely. There's no anchor for my soul. And I'm really struggling with hope. And you're coming back saying, I really hope there's more to this than what I thought. And then there are some basement video gamers. Who are the basement video gamers? You might not be a kid in age, but in your faith, you're still cooking with basic ingredients. And you've never moved on to the deeper things. And you're like, ah, I love Jesus and I understand that whole God thing. But you've never shared your faith with anyone. You don't give to the church. You come, and like my kids, you show up at dinner and expect food to be on the table. And then you go and you do your own thing. Now, listen, if you're a wanderer and explorer, I'm not talking to you right now, okay? So don't feel like I'm getting hard on anybody. But if you're, a, you know, the 27-year-old guy living in his parents' basement, pretending like he's a professional gamer... You know, I read an article recently, parents changed the locks on their house for this 31-year-old guy, and he sued them. He sued them in court because he said that he had the, and the court's like, you don't have the right, you're 31 years old, and you're sitting in your parents' basement. Ladies, that's not the guy you want to marry. 
I'm just telling you. Alana, don't bring that boy home, okay? Don't, don't bring him anywhere close because he and daddy are going to have a conversation. Ladies up there in the corner, if he knows all the video games, but he don't know the way to work. But there's a lot of people in their faith, they've been video gamers their whole faith. And they're 45 years old and they wonder what's wrong with the church and they can tell you everything that's wrong, but they don't serve and they don't give. And they've never had their faith challenged to the point where it has to grow. You never win a battle without fighting some wars. But I want to tell you, when you win a few battles, it's fun. And then the fourth group of people, and you're the troopers. You've been there, you've done it, you've fought the battle, and you're a little bit tired. I mean, you're tired. Because this last year, it feels like you have been out there alone separated from church, separated from others, and you're tired. For all three of you, my word this morning, very simple. There is an anchor for your soul. You have a high priest, a priest not limited by sin, a priest not in a religious structure, but a priest who was sinless, and because he was sinless, he was blameless. And because he was blameless, he was perfect. And because he was perfect, he died on a cross as an acceptable sacrifice. And because he was God, he came back from the dead. You know, it's one thing to predict a win in a sports game. Like Riley and I are watching a lot of basketball. You know, these guys predict wins, and sometimes they, they predict, and sometimes they're wrong. <laughs> and, but if you can predict your own death and say, and by the way, three days later, I'm going to show up again because death can't hold me down, I might listen a little bit. <laughs> what am I saying? I guess if I go through life and I say one thing, it would be this. Jesus is all you need. Jesus is everything you need. Whether you're an explorer, or a wanderer, a video gamer, or a tired trooper. We used to sing this old song. And I'm going to try to sing it, and I'm going to embarrass myself, but that's okay. And turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and I don't know what you're going through, but I know this. When I have an encounter with Jesus, it changes the ingredients. It changes the ingredients of my life, and it changes the, the mixture. It changes the cake that comes out of the oven. It becomes richer. It becomes sweeter. It becomes whatever because I stop trying to cook with store-bought butter, and I say there's a reality. And so that, I'm going to pray with you this morning, and we're going to be done. My prayer this morning for you is would you figure out where you've started buying into the store-bought, and say, Lord, remind me of the reality of this thing called following Jesus. Father, we come before you in the blessed name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who for the joy set before him endured the suffering and shame of the cross so that we might have the offer of eternal life, that you're better, that you don't fit within our systems, that you break our molds, 
and come up with something far more beautiful than we ever imagined. Lord, I pray for each one who's here today. I pray for the explorers that they would find safe harbor and decide, I'm, I'm ready. For the wanderers who got tired of being offered something that wasn't quite what they remembered, I pray that you would return them to a, a beautiful vision, a powerful encounter of the Holy Spirit. For the video gamers who've been standing at a distance, living a virtual life, but expecting things to be done for them, Lord, I pray that you would help them to step into their moment and say, it's time for me to come into the reality of who you've called me to be in you. And for the troopers, the people who've been faithful, and they've supported the church, and they've supported missionaries, and they've prayed, and they've given, and they've served, and they might be a little bit tired, Lord. I pray that a refreshing wind from the Holy Spirit would come and fill them up with the courage to know that Jesus intercedes for our very every need. And we thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for the opportunity, Pastor Joe. You can find us online. Follow the Crémor Crémor podcast if you're a French speaker. Share it with people. And uh, God bless you guys. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Pastor Charles. Better you than me. That is a hard passage of Scripture in Hebrews chapter 7. Guys, you can come up and, and get ready to, uh, to play. I just want to finish up today. You know, he pulled that old, old chorus out there. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. I am so thankful. Uh, we don't live in the Old Testament. You don't have to go home and kill an animal <laughs> to be forgiven of your sins. You don't need a pastor to be forgiven of your sins. You don't need a priest to be forgiven of your sins. What you need to do is you need to call out to Jesus uh, because he's waiting for you to do that. And so I just want to sing that chorus one time and then let you guys play whatever you want uh, as we finish up today. And we'll uh, open up the table at the bottom, people who want to give and visit. I'll be on the side there if you want to visit with me. But if you know the chorus, and uh, yeah, I guess if you want to sing it with us, you can. you got your masks on. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. That's a high key. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace turn your eyes upon jesus look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace
Well, amen. And that's our prayer for you today. And God bless you. And uh, remember, I'll be online tomorrow night at 7 and uh, Wednesday night at 7 again. And uh, next Sunday, we'll continue keep walking through this curious book in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews. God bless you, everyone.